0: I feel like it's super useful when it comes to trivia nights. Because oh, yeah. I so I play this uh, like this board game. It's it's like a joke in our like extended family with my cousins that I like. We all have game nights, and mm-hmm. I'm like Jenna always wins game night. Mm-hmm. And except um, for
1: Catan. So anyway. <laughs> Yeah, everyone that comes on so far has been has like pretty much said the same thing about you know because you and I are just talking like pretty much when we hang out like that's all that we do anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's like for whatever reason it's different when you put a mic in, like in front of your face because you're like just hyper aware of yeah. all the things that you're, like you're you're trying to say. You want to sound articulate. You're like oh shit like these people are going to be listening or they can't listen if you tell if you tell them about mm-hmm. the pod. So it's yeah I don't know. I think I think it's really interesting but most of the time when we just start talking about like whatever it it's really easy to get into cool um, yeah so I'll, I'll probably just get right into it so welcome to Between the Soup it's the show where friends become closer friends it's the show where Jenna doesn't show up on time <laughs> you look you look great though <laughs> It's the show where I basically talk to people about experiences that are unique to them. I'm not on Twitter, but you can follow the podcast Instagram at BetweenTheSoup.pod, where I'll post updates on episodes and behind the scenes content. So I'm your host, Gilbert, and today our guest is Dr. Jenna DeRubis. Jenna and I became friends at the Barrett Honors College Dining Hall at ASU. We basically talked once and then didn't speak to each other for about three years until realizing that we get along pretty well, which is kind of representative of our friendship as a whole. Jenna is an optometrist, part owner and COO of the primary eye care center of Awatuki, specializing in, you guessed it, optometry. When she's not saving lives, Jenna lives a multifaceted life with hobbies ranging from Brazilian jiu-jitsu and oil painting and photography to taking care of her two beautiful dogs, Willow and Finn. Um, If that wasn't enough, she's a passionate feminist, hates prime numbers, and is the second best at Catan in this room. (laughs) Um, Jenna, welcome to Between the Soup.
0: Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah.
1: I know I definitely have asked you this before, but so thinking about your optometry origins, what initially made you want to start? So in the past, you've mentioned that there's obviously influence from your dad, but I guess what is it about the subject matter that's alluring to you?
0: Uh, So I first started saying that I wanted to be an eye doctor back when I was in elementary school, specifically like fifth grade-ish time, Um, and a lot of people, I think when they hear that I work with my dad and you know, he's an eye doctor, they think that it was, you know, like him influencing me or him pushing me towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if anything, when I started telling him I was gonna be an eye doctor, he was like, you're gonna grow out of this. This is oh, just like a phase kind of thing. Like he definitely was like, you're you're gonna change your mind. He never pushed me towards it. Um, instead, it was like my first memory of kind of going, okay, I wanna be an eye doctor was uh, that my dad wasn't home yet for the day we were waiting for him to come home from work Mm -hmm. and my brother said something about like oh well dad's busy saving lives or something and i was kind of like he's just an eye doctor Mm -hmm. he just does eyeglasses uh like what are you talking about something to that you know um and then i you know he kind of explained to me when i said that like no he does a lot of medical stuff too um and through all the different cases that my dad would tell me about when he would get home from work. Uh, He would go over like interesting patient cases sometimes. Uh, Then I started falling in love with it because I realized it's so much more than just eyeglasses and there really is the health component and you can find out so much about systemic diseases from a patient just from their eyes. So I always knew I wanted to be some kind of an eye doctor. I knew I wanted to go in the medical field, uh, but then that's when I started thinking, you know, I definitely want to do eyes. This is really interesting. So when I was around, I don't know, probably like 10 years old, I started begging my dad to let me go work at the office. And he was like, you're under 16, you can't work right now. Mm -hmm. But I would do things like filing in the back or something like that, just like little tiny like family business type jobs. Uh, So he would let me do those things. And I I was like so eager to work with patients. And then Mm -hmm. finally, when I was 16, then I was hired on as a technician. Um, So I worked as a tech, a scribe, an optician, front desk. I cut lenses for glasses in the back in our lab. I uh, did all of those kind of different things and so then finally I think when I was an undergrad and I'd work on you know like the weekends on Saturdays and anytime I had a break then my dad finally started saying like oh she's going to be an eye doctor instead of just like oh she this like, is my daughter she just yeah, works here just, kind of thing. Yeah
1: or even just brushing it off as like oh you'll, you'll uh, grow out
0: of it. Yeah I think even like through high school people still were like that you could change your mind but then once I started pursuing it in undergrad that's when people were like okay like she's Mm -hmm. probably actually gonna do this
1: yeah so I guess since you sort of mentioned that the the part about saving lives was really Mm -hmm. interesting to you so why did you continue to stick with um, optometry in particular versus like any other type of of medicine because like there are other fields obviously where you might even have a a bigger impact in in saving lives
0: uh, yeah like and and that's the thing is like, I, I totally get that optometry is not like uh, every single day I'm like saving lives or something like that. Um, you know, a lot of days are, you know, more routine or Mm -hmm. maybe like emergency visits, but it's low complication emergency Mm -hmm. visits. Um, And it's still important. Yeah. And, but for me, it was like interesting that you could make someone see so much better too. So you could be helping their vision out, but Mm -hmm. also be catching stuff early on from a medical standpoint. So, you know, like it sounds nice to be able to go like, oh, I saved a life or something and have these really crazy cases, which I do have sometimes, but uh, I think it's also the, even just like the, you know, helping someone get a diagnosis of high cholesterol or high blood pressure early on. Uh, those are things that I catch sometimes in just routine eye exams.
2: Mm, and okay. that's something
0: that down the line ends up helping them, even though it's not, maybe not that like big dramatic life-saving moment right then and there, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's preventative medicine there. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought that was interesting that you know there's so many different things you can catch really early on in the eyes that you know you might not catch other way, uh, other ways. And a lot of times it'll be like patients are coming in for like I you know contacts or eyeglasses or something, and mm-hmm. maybe they don't go to a primary care doctor routinely. So when they come in for their just thinking seemingly random you know uh, routine uh, you know eye care visit, that's when they end up learning that they have something else going on. And I might say to the patient like, when's the last time you saw your primary care? And they're like, oh, it's been 20 years. Oh, yeah. And turns out they're like diabetic or they're hypertensive mm. or they have high cholesterol. And by them just coming in for their contact lens prescription, I help to get them that care.
1: It sounds like most of your interest was built more on being, having exposure, like, within your, your dad's office, and mm-hmm. perhaps that, like, it continued to grow your interest. Was there anything in high school that, like, you, you studied or, like, you were working on that, like, really put the nail in the coffin um, for you to say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to do this versus something else?
0: I mean, I feel like I, I'm the type of person that I plan out my life pretty far usually, <laughs> and so I feel like I was very convinced that I was going to be an eye doctor from fifth grade. I never really wavered. Like I think mm-hmm. maybe I briefly thought it would be interesting to be a lawyer in uh, high school, and I kind of thought about that a little bit, but I still was very much like, I'm going to be an eye doctor, so... Um, I mean, when I was in sixth grade, I was researching which optometry schools I wanted to apply to. So it wasn't like I was still deciding in my mind. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, I was like very set on this very early on.
1: Okay. So when you're going through high school too, are Mm -hmm. you like actively working towards that goal of like, okay, I know that this is what I want to do. So like, I'm going to be taking steps to get there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in high school, I worked every weekend at my dad's office, every summer break, winter break. I'd work at my dad's office starting when I was 16. Um, I did a honors like internship through my high school with my dad too. Um, I was working there anyway. They, I was able to get high school credit for that too. Um, I made sure I didn't like go out and party or anything where I would end up having something on my record. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, you know, my friends would be drinking at the time and I was just very nervous that, Uh, you know, what if we get caught or something like that? Mm -hmm. And then I have to explain that away on my optometry school application. So I was already like thinking of those things. So I would never drink, um, at least not out in public Mm -hmm. or like with friends or anything. Um, so I would do kind of things like that. Um, I, at one point researched how to make an eye model and was going to start practicing how to do dilated eye exams on an eye model. Um, I never actually did that, but I did research it. Um, and I just think, I, yeah, I was just kind of gearing, like, when I was taking all my classes in high school, I was gearing everything towards what's going to be best uh, to get into optometry school. It's, it's funny, because to me, that just seems normal, but then I recognize that a lot of people...
1: No one's like
2: that. Yeah, <laughs> <No> <laughs> one's I, like that.
0: I recognize that a lot of people are not like that, and that sounds strange to be, like, I was so determined to be an eye doctor, you know, from being a kid. Um uh-huh. uh, but, like, to me, that's just who I am, and, and that was normal for me, but mm-hmm. then, it, so it's, it's kind of funny to me when I see people that are like, I have no idea what I want to do in life, because I'm so opposite of that. Yeah. Like, I I have these, like, long-term goals of, like, knowing what I want to do, and
2: mm-hmm.
0: not that I have, like, everything planned out, necessarily, but, right. like, when I, when I put my head towards something, like, okay, I'm really going to do this, I feel like I usually just do it.
1: Where do you think that comes from? Do you think it's, like, from your parents, or from your siblings, or... Any sort of like experience, okay. Definitely, definitely <laughs> not your sibling. Um, well, I don't mean, I don't mean like from your siblings as like, oh, they were like pushing me to be this way, but more like you saw something maybe negative in them and you were like, I don't want to be like that or I can do better.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I think that, so my brothers are six and eight years older than me, so mm-hmm. I was definitely the baby in the family. Um, I think that I kind of grew up a lot faster than my brothers because I was, you know, the youngest in the family. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when you're the younger child separated by that many years, your parents at that point are kind of like, we
2: got I down. expect
0: you to be like that. Well, I feel like like that you're like almost like I expect you to be at that same maturity level. Like they don't, oh. they don't have the patience for a little tiny kid anymore. Cause they already went through it before and they thought they were done with that phase of their life. And now mm-hmm. they're not. So, i feel like i just kind of was like treated like a young adult pretty early on and so i i feel like that i i guess like i didn't you know i wasn't just like a normal kind of kid in the sense that uh like i just thought of things like an adult would probably if that makes sense yeah that that
1: makes a lot of sense that's really interesting um
0: yeah, I, like, my parents always would say, like, they weren't the kind of parents that were like, you must bring home straight A's every single time. They uh-huh. weren't, they didn't push me that way. You just did And, and I, pushed, <laughs> I pushed myself, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, like, you know, they would just say, I expect you to do the best that you can do, something like that. And uh, so I, I took that very literally. And I was like, well, I think the best that I can do is straight A's. So that's just what I did. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I was like, okay, well, that, that means you just work. As hard as you can, kind of a thing, uh, but it wasn't like my mom would sometimes joke about that she wanted me to get a B or something because she wanted me to like decrease the pressure of continuing straight A's and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and then I just would be like, "No, I want to just keep working as hard as I can.
1: I have a couple of follow questions okay. for that, but I'm going to kind of segue into. The fact that you dropped out of Barrett because you got accepted into optometry school already—that's that, that, that really. <laughs> it's that, funny
0: when you say dropped out. Like I I'm, mean, it's, I'm a college dropout. <laughs> but yeah,
1: it's it's cool when you like frame it that way because you you'd be like, yeah, I was I was too good for this <laughs> in a way, <laughs> and because I I got something bigger and, and better. Yeah. So I think I think saying dropped out is like more abrasive, but in like a good in like a good way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I always thought that was really cool about you that. You left Barrett uh, to... Yeah. uh...
0: So there's kind of like a little story behind that. So when I was in high school, I calculated out that if I were to do the standard four years undergrad and then go to optometry school, I would graduate in 2021. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, if I could just graduate one year early, I'd graduate in 2020. And isn't that cool? Because I'm going to be an eye doctor and I'd be graduating here in 2020. (laughs) So I was mapping that out in high school. And I have classmates that distinctly remember me like planning this out and saying, I'm going to graduate in 2020 Mm -hmm. because I had so many like dual enrollment credits and like, you know, college credits that i was like i'm sure i can graduate in three years it's not going to be an issue so the plan was that i was going to graduate in three years initially and then my brother talked me out of it because he was trying to get into med school at the time and he was like it'll look more interesting to schools if you have something else that differentiates you from people like a spanish minor versus just trying to graduate a early. that like they're not going to think that's special that you graduated a year early it's going to be more special if you have an additional degree or something. So I decided to go for my Spanish minor. So we like mapped out my course schedule and figured out I could do a Spanish minor and, an, and a major uh, in biology in four years. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that instead of graduating in three years. And I was just like, whatever, I guess I'll graduate in 2021. That sucks, but whatever. Um, and so Then I you know, that was the plan, even though I originally was wanting to graduate in 2020. And then I started going through undergrad and you have to take an admissions test to get into optometry school called called the OAT um, optometric admissions test or whatever it is. Uh, And I knew that like the classes that it covered was like up through like organic chemistry and I was going to be taking organic chemistry uh, my sophomore year of undergrad. And I had already taken all the other classes that were gonna be on there too. So I was like, why am I gonna wait another year to take this admissions test? Because you would normally take it after your third year Mm -hmm. of undergrad. And I was like, why am I waiting another year when I'm gonna start forgetting my organic chemistry anyway and like all these other classes, I should just take it now. And so I was like, well, I could take it now and then apply next year like when you normally would. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wait a minute, actually there are some programs where you don't need to have an undergraduate degree if you're like a, they say like, if you're like a really good candidate, um, you could possibly still get in even without an undergrad degree. So. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I might as well just apply. And I knew my top school was Illinois College of Autometry anyway, and they didn't require a degree if you you know, were a really good applicant in other ways. And so I was like, well, let me just, I'll take the test. If I do well on it, like I'll apply. And if I get in, great. If not, I'm, you know, I didn't lose any time. I'm still right. going in at the normal time, and I can apply again next year. But then I ended up getting accepted, mm-hmm. um, so I ended up getting what I wanted. I graduated in 2020, um, so it all worked out. But then I didn't get my degree because I listened to my brother and tried to go for my Spanish minor, and mm-hmm. so I still had like a couple credits left that I had to do, but. Um, you know, I had some people ask me, like, does that bother you that you're not going to have like your undergraduate degree from Baird honors college? And I'm like, no one asks about your undergrad usually if you're a doctor already, like they care more yeah. about the doctorate. They're not going to like pry about everything else. Um, and also, then, no one
1: cares. <laughs> yeah. Like
0: no, just no one really cares about that. Uh, and like, I still went to Baird honors college. I mm-hmm. still was studying genetics and biology. Uh, in undergrad. I just didn't get the last couple classes to be able to check all the boxes to get the degree. Yeah.
1: Even, even with that too, it's like, I, I feel like for having an undergraduate degree, it's really only beneficial if like you're trying to get into grad school. But yeah. in your case, it's like surpassing that, like it, it doesn't matter. Cause that's the end goal. Anyway. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I was like, I'm going to have a higher degree than that anyway. So why do I really care? Mm-hmm. And then it was, uh, at ICO, you, you don't have to get your, like, it's not like a three plus four program where like you have to get your undergraduate degree it was optional but I had enough humanities credits well there's several different credits you have to have but um I know my dad did the same thing actually he did his um undergraduate degree through ICO too and only did three years undergrad um at University of Michigan and so uh, for him, he didn't have enough humanities credits and he wasn't willing to go take an extra humanities course. Like he had needed to take one more course and mm-hmm. he wasn't willing to do it. Um, but for me, I already had like plenty, especially with like human event and Barrett and everything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I just, all I was, was filling up paperwork and submitting it. Mm-hmm. And then I got my undergraduate degree.
1: What were your, what were your thoughts about like actual Barrett, like going into, like having to do the human event and those kinds of like honor specific classes?
0: Um, I thought that was a really cool thing, actually. So, like at the time, I kind of hated human event, um, not be- not because like I hated the course, but just like how much course work and mm-hmm. my first semester. Uh, he like we walked into the classroom, and uh, I was Dr. Foy. Dr. Foy goes like only one of you guys is walking out of this class with an A, and I was like, I'm a straight A student, and there was like this other girl that was like really good at the human event, like she was really good at talking, and I was like well, there goes my like perfect 4.0, which Mm -hmm. I mean, I still with like the the weighted system or something it still worked out to over 4.0, but that was my first (laughs) B, I got a B plus in that class, Um, and it was just so much work, like all the reading and the the, oh my god, the thesis papers, those were horrible so, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't I think I didn't like it at the time because it was just so much work. But now looking back, I wish I could find like a book club that was like the human event. Mm-hmm. Like Me too.
1: You, I think about that all the time.
0: Yeah, because I'm like, I'm like, you don't appreciate it at the time, but now looking back, I'm like, I'm never going to have that experience of reading these like really cool uh, old texts that you don't normally encounter in oh. like your normal reading life. Uh-huh. Like, Or you could read it, but not a lot of other people are reading that stuff. Uh-huh. So you're not discussing it.
1: Yeah, I was thinking more of like, Uh, Like, cause I wasn't really into like the, all the, the old books really, but it would still be cool to like have a book club and like a round table discussion with like, I don't know, any other topic really.
0: Or just like any, like any kind of, like, I feel like there's book clubs, but it's like book clubs for more, I don't know, like newer novels or something like that. Like I don't feel like there's people that are getting like really in depth discussing like, Mm -hmm. you know, like how you do in human event. I feel like you're it's
1: like kind of superficial like if do you did you like it if you liked it yeah why? like not like
0: like what do you think the author meant by this and like mm-hmm. you know like or does the author even know what they meant by this and like is there this other thing that they didn't even realize they were doing like that was a big theme we explored was that like sometimes like writers don't even know what they're going for necessarily right. and it just kind of shows up in their work and we're analyzing it later looking at it and maybe they didn't even intend for it to be like that mm-hmm. um, and the influence that it had on people so uh but yeah i'm like i'm like i i can't find a book club where someone's like let's read gilgamesh together <laughs> i think it would be like now looking saying, back we, we, it's we interesting. should we should
1: start a book club but if you yeah. just want to read gilgamesh i'm, I'm out
0: i mean not that i want to like go back and read that but i don't know like like there's other things that i basically like the rory gilmore book list like Mm -hmm. i would like to discuss that with people okay that's that's also one of my goals is that i all the books that are mentioned in the gilmore girls series i found a website that tells you what all the different texts are that she mentions and i it's my goal to read through it but there's so many on there like it's gonna take years to get through it but Uh, But I'm, like, those are all, like, really good classics and stuff. And, um, I don't know, lately I've been just reading kind of trashy romance novels. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of, like, I feel like I should get back to, like, some real literature, too. It's Like, mix it in. Like, a little bit of both.
1: Yeah, I guess whatever it is that you end up actually enjoying. Because for for me, like, I had a a period in my life where I, I... I realized that in high school I didn't really read like the books that you're supposed to quote unquote yeah um like stuff like Animal Farm or Lord of the Flies or like that the, the those kind of books. stuff yeah yeah um so I, I made like a, an effort to like read all the ones that you're supposed to including like Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice or like The Great Gatsby or even like there's a there's a Lord of the Rings prequel prequel called the Silmarillion it's basically about like how all of Middle Earth was created mm-hmm. it's honestly it's like the most boring fucking book ever. But for whatever reason, I was just like, "Oh, I have to finish this because like you know, this is one of the books that you should you should read because it's so popular or interesting or whatever. Yeah. And then I realized like, oh, if, you know, if I'm not enjoying it in the first place, like, why, why am I reading? <laughs> why am I reading this at all?
2: Yeah.
1: So yeah, I mean, if you if you are really interested in like the, the old time books, like, or even the romance novels, like, I, I think the important part is if you if you enjoy it. Could go for it if you don't then
0: like I don't believe in like forcing myself to read books that I don't want to read but yeah. like I specifically want to read it because it was in like <laughs> more Girls so yeah. like my first on the list I think is like on the road by Jack Kerouac because like the very first that's a pretty scene she goes like you're a regular Jack Kerouac so they included that on there mm-hmm.
1: I'm kind of curious about what's on that now no but I think I think it's really cool that you you liked the human event um a lot of people that I talked to just saw it as like dumb busy work yeah and which I didn't necessarily agree. Like, some of it, I guess, could be, but I think the the value that, that Barrett gave was, like, mostly in just, like, having those deeper discussions or being more in-depth with, like, your critical thinking or problem-solving. Yeah. I did I did my Barrett thesis on, like, why students leave the, the Honors College. Yeah. And the, the main reason is that, like, Barrett doesn't really offer any sort of, like, objective value. So you don't... If you go to barrett you're you're not necessarily going to get into a better graduate school. you're not necessarily going to have a better job, so a lot of people stop there and think okay what's what's the point of mm-hmm. of going in the first place that in addition to not wanting to do honors contracts and the thesis overall because it is seen by some students as just additional busy work mm-hmm. but I remember in my in my thesis defense, my advisor he asked me like like was it worth it to you if so like what what value does Barrett bring? And my answer is essentially like it's it's sort of the, the value that isn't really measurable by each student. So kind of like what we were talking about here, like if you thought it was interesting and you learned something from the having that deeper discussion in a round table about like older books, then that, that in itself is value to you, even though that might not show yeah. as like being an additional plus for like graduate school or a job or whatever have you. I don't know. I just think that's really cool. Like I said, a lot of people say that they, they didn't like Barrett or they thought it was useless or something. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking about you getting accepted into optometry school early and I was actually going to ask you too about like going into optometry school since you were like a straight A student or, um, and we're just very high achieving. How, how in general do you deal with failure?
0: How in general do I deal with failure?
1: I guess, uh an example from something that we talked about, like getting a B plus I'm sure was hard for you at the time.
0: Um, I just, I think at that point I'd already resigned myself to it. (laughs) I was just like, I was like, whatever. Oh, I actually like thought about throwing a B party. Um,
2: because so, so
0: my, um, one of my like high school boyfriends, when his sister finally gained enough Like she was like super skinny when she finally gained enough like weight that she was 100 pounds mm-hmm. she threw a 100 pound party that's cool to like celebrate it and it, it i thought it was kind of funny because like girls don't usually celebrate gaining weight mm-hmm. um and so i was like i should have a b party where i celebrate the fact that i got my very first b so i try to i guess just turn it around a little bit like that um as far as like it totally depends on what it is, I think. If there's a failure, like some stuff, I beat myself up really bad about it for a long time. Um, and then there are other things that I'm just like, oh, well, that's life. I'm going to move on with it. And it mm-hmm. just totally depends on the unique circumstances.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The the reason why I'm bringing that up now is because I, I feel like with... I mean, I don't know what the day-to-day like is in optometry school, but I feel like the, the margin for failure is greater than just being an undergrad or, or even high school or whatever.
0: Yeah, that was... was rough
1: so so what was what was the day-to-day like and like i guess what were the biggest challenges for you um in optometry school
0: um you're just miserable all the time (laughs) it's just it's so um i think i have like a little ptsd from uh, my first year of optometry school Um, and, and I think the first year is the hardest year just because you're getting used to the workload and just how much it sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, the second year is probably like academically harder, but you're already kind of used to the suck. So it it's, you're, you're just used to life sucking. So, uh, it's not as bad. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was like my first year we had three exams every single week. Uh, and so it was like, you would, you'd have exams Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, so you would be over the weekend studying for your test on Monday. Then you get to Monday, you take your test. Now you're exhausted. Cause you might've stayed up pretty late studying for that test. And now, uh, you go home and you're like, okay, I, I can't study right now. I'm so tired. I need to sleep. So you sleep. And then Tuesday, now you're pulling another all nighter or like, you know, mm-hmm. at least stay, staying up really late studying because now you only have one day to study for your test on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And these take your test on Wednesday. Now you're so tired. So you just sleep on Wednesday <laughs> and then you're just constantly cramming. Mm-hmm. And you know, teachers would be like, well, you just, every day you should study a little bit of every subject. And I'm like, no one is going to do that. When you have this really big ocular anatomy test the next day, I am not studying for biochemistry at mm-hmm. that moment. Um, but like ideally they would tell you like oh you should study for like each subject like a half hour every day or something like that um and that just didn't work for me so uh it just kind of felt like getting hit by a train uh three times a week and then of course our our class got screwed over so of course the next year they were like we had so many people drop out our year like an unprecedented number of people dropped out my year um and i i think that was a lot of you know them accepting people that probably shouldn't have been accepted into the program Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that were admitted on probation already um like they were like okay you know we'll let you in but like you need to maintain this gpa or we're going to take you back out again. Mm-hmm. And so uh because of that we lost a lot of people our first year. Uh and then after that I think they reevaluated it. They were like, maybe it's not a great idea to make them take three exams every single week. Maybe <laughs> that's like horrible and we mm-hmm. should decrease it down to twice a week. So then it was like then after that they changed the rules and it was not like that anymore. So like oh. the later classes only had two exams per week. Um so yeah, so that that was roughly like the first two Quarters that it was three times a week.
1: Would you rather have had that as like your experience, or do you think that the three times a week uh, helped you in the long run?
0: I think I would have rather the two <laughs> times a week. It was just it was just really rough, and it was um you're just like I mean you're just cramming nonstop, and I feel like um, you kind of have to do that no matter what. You're gonna have to work your ass off anyway, mm-hmm. and. Um I just feel like I probably could have gotten more stuff out of things if I wasn't just stressed all the time too yeah. but um yeah I mean the day to day was just kind of like you know towards the beginning you're in more didactic style education you're in lecture for a long period of time and then you just go home and you study and that's like your life is just Mm -hmm. you know lecture study lecture study pretty much um or you might be doing like labs or something like that you're in clinic like a little bit your first year um as you get further in school you know by i i did like this accelerated clinical program so i got into clinic more frequently than the rest of my peers Mm -hmm. uh but you know like you know, your second year, you're doing a little bit more clinic third year, you're basically like split half didactic half clinic, and then fourth year is all clinic. Um, So definitely the more clinic that you get into, that's a lot easier. Okay.
1: Um, And that's something else I was going to ask about you too. So you, you got into the program, I'm assuming you were younger than all of your counterparts. Um, Did you see that as being a plus, like overall, or was it something that you kind of thought was like a handicap?
0: Um, so I wasn't the youngest, I was close to it, though, we had someone who was a little bit younger than me there. Um, I um, I think that, you know, like, it, it, it kind of goes both ways that you're younger, so you have probably a little bit more energy. Some of the older classmates, uh, my oldest classmate was in his forties, mm-hmm. um, and actually a really good friend of mine. Um, and uh, so we would—it kind of, was kind of funny because I was like one of the youngest ones, and I would be always hanging out with like the oldest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but also at the same time, I think that there was still like a maturity thing that I think later on, like looking back on it, I'm like I probably could have done better my first year if I would have just like you know, been in a different phase in my life too. Like I had drama going on in my personal life, my first year of optometry school that definitely influenced it. And I, you know, question, you know, if I were a little bit older, would that not have been going on? Would I've like not put up with stuff that was going on in my personal life? And like, maybe that would have been less of a factor, but, Mm -hmm. uh, who knows? Um, so, uh, I mean, I think there's just pros and cons of both.
1: Gotcha. So personal life drama aside, um, if you were to go back to optometry school, what would you want to do differently that you think would have been helped you out in the long run
0: um i think just buckle down and study more honestly because i i was like i was definitely the person that um i would make my other classmates like nervous because i was a like last minute cram study
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh kind of person and one of my one of my good friends would joke that i was like a sponge like i would just like he was like i don't know how you pull that off that you just like last-minute cram mm-hmm. study and still do fairly well on mm-hmm. these tasks. If you just uh, sleep
1: on top of a book, it, it'll percolate. Up
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I actually did pretty well with that. Like, I would have classmates. I remember I would work, work in the library, so I like I would did a work-study position in the library, and I would maybe just be like, doing random stuff on my computer and then when my classmates would be like yeah i already went through all the material twice already like how far are you through it like how many times have you gone through the study material and i'm like i haven't started studying yet and they would be like they'd be like oh my gosh i'm so worried for you and i would be like all right i'm fine like leave me alone you know i've survived this long yeah um like that's that's the worst when people like
1: come at you like that because it's just like it just Worry about yourself. Yeah, like and
0: that. you're just like, okay, you're just stressing me out yeah, now. like, exactly. and I was, I was fine before, and right. now you're stressing me out. <laughs> and, um, uh, but like, still, I think it would have been better if I would have just kind of like buckled down and not been cram studying so much. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, I guess, that's just, I'm a procrastinator type person, uh, and that's generally worked pretty well for me in my whole life. Um, yeah, I just, it would have been a lot less stressful if I kind of broke that habit a little bit. Uh, and then I think that the other thing that I would do differently if I had to do it all over again would be making sure I always slept eight hours a night mm-hmm. because I definitely was with a person that I would sacrifice sleep to last mm-hmm. minute cram study. Yeah. And I uh, like looking back, that was so unhealthy and probably shaved years off my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with all the sleep science stuff that's coming oh, out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I'm like, like, you can't. in in the moment you're like, well, I have to at least get through the material at least once. But again, if I would have fixed the procrastinator issue a little bit, so I could have done that like a little bit earlier in the day and still like been consistent with like, I'm going to get eight hours of sleep. That's just it. Mm -hmm. Like I would have been so much happier. Like it, it just, it it deteriorates your life in so many different ways. Like you're just a miserable person when you're that tired.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times you, you might not even be like studying as efficiently as you, you would be if you, if you had that much sleep, like you would be able to retain more, even focus on what, Whatever the material is, that's at hand.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because like I would like four hours of sleep was a lot for me back then. Like, (laughs) like I was like, oh, wow, I got a whole four hours in today. Like there were definitely times I got less than that. And I would maybe like go take a nap later on in the middle of the day or something. But uh, I was just like not sleeping well. Um, and it's funny now being done with school that now I'm on a more normal sleep cycle. And if I don't get like at least eight hours, I'm just miserable. And I I think what it is, is when you're sleep deprived, you don't realize how sleep deprived you are, Mm -hmm. but if you're well rested and one night you don't get enough sleep, you're very acutely aware of how tired you are. But once you get into chronic sleep deprivation, you're not. Like quite too aware of that anymore mm-hmm. um, and you don't realize how miserable you are and how it affects just like yeah. everything like your mood too even mm-hmm. like I just it was definitely not contributing to like you know it was not, it was not helpful towards just me like being happy in general.
1: yeah so barring all of like the, the the shitty things aside from school, um, what were some of the big wins for you?
0: Big wins for me um, getting into the accelerated program that was cool because then I gotta do a lot more clinical experience. Um I loved my last year rotations because then you start actually feeling like a real doctor and you get to go out to other clinics besides your main school clinic. Mm-hmm. Uh because your main school clinic has attendings that are like your professors or people that have like known you since your first year of optometry school and they still all think that you're just like an idiot and like they like they see you as like this little first year student still. Mm-hmm. Um but when you get out to these other like rotations. Um, I think they're kinda like they almost start seeing you almost more like a colleague at that point. They're like you're a couple months away from being like one of us. And so I feel like, um, I got treated more like that where you're getting your hand held a little bit more in school, even when you're like ready to like spread your wings and, and you know, kinda do your mm-hmm. own thing. Um, you're you definitely have more things that you you know, you have to check in with them and stuff where I was given a lot more freedom, uh, when I was off on of my rotations.
1: So yeah, I mean, I felt I like I haven't really been like framing this in a positive way because I, I do think that like you being high achieving is, has been beneficial. So I was going to ask you about that as well. So is, do you think that, how, how do you think that being sort of like perfectionist or high achieving has like ultimately helped you?
0: Um, I mean, I graduated as a doctor when I was 25 years old. That was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, that uh, was awesome. I mean, like my so like in contrast, like some, one of my brothers, he's a doctor, um, he's a DO, and, um, he, what,
1: what is that for just for people that don't know?
0: Oh, uh, doctor of osteopathy. So it's like, they do similar stuff, like to an MD program. Um, but it just hit, you have DO after your name instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Not as but... cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but they really, they take MD boards and everything too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of funny cause it's like MD gets all the prestige, but like there's so many other doctors that are, very qualified to treat things and they just have different letters after their name. So people don't realize that they're like the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, they just like, they learn like manual adjustments and stuff in school, but otherwise everything else is like standard Westernized medicine and they learn the same things. They could do MD pro, uh, residency programs too. Like they merged together. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, like for him, uh he six he's six years older than me and uh he just finished up his residency so that mean, and i graduated last year so that means i think he was like we were six years apart but on like the becoming a doctor track he mm-hmm. graduated i think just like two years ahead of me kind of thing so um, I like caught up to him because he was like a couple years behind and then mm-hmm. like I was a year ahead um, you know getting into optometry school a year early so uh, you know that definitely helps things out getting an earlier start in your career and mm-hmm. just starting to make money and not being a student for so long and um, and hey, yeah, you know that was a huge part. yeah and like the you know like the you know of all the different things that I could have done you know um, I could have you know, gone, okay, I'm going to go the MD path or something and be doing a residency right now. Mm. Um, but this allowed me to, you know, graduated a year early, became a doctor at 25. Like now I'm part owner of a business and like, I'm getting my life started a lot earlier. Mm. And, um, you know, that definitely helped. And that was all very planned out, um, on my part, uh, where other people I think that are like, not that kind of like overachieving perfectionist thing. Like they just get their life started a little bit later and like, that's, that's fine. It works for them. Fine. But for me, um, I was like so eager to like, I want to start like my real life now. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't feel like when you're in school, that's like your real life.
1: Yeah. I agree. Um, so now that you are starting your real life, it seemed like the journey overall went as planned for you. Yeah. Um, so now that you're practicing at primary eye care, do, mm-hmm. do, do you have like a shortened version of that? So do you call it like PECA?
0: Yeah, we call it PECA actually okay. like internally. Yeah. Okay,
1: cool. So now that now that you're there, um, <laughs> what what is your favorite part of the job?
0: Um my favorite part of the job is definitely just like seeing patients. Um, I really love, you know, seeing like emergencies and ocular disease and getting patients help for that. Um, I mean, routine care is a big thing. You can't lose sight of that. Um, there, I think there are a lot of people that there, they get so excited about all the disease stuff and routine care is very important though too. Um, but definitely all the, like the really interesting cases, I think keep me on my toes. Um, so that's my favorite part. Um, know i have to do a lot of the administrative stuff which i think i like thrive on Mm -hmm. um like feeling like needed almost and like um you know feeling like i'm like you know the boss and in control of all this kind of stuff like i like i like that too but there's also things that you know it kind of sucks when i have to deal with a staff member who's not performing properly or a patient who's upset for some reason or something like that i have to deal with a lot of those things and those can be kind of a pain in the ass those are the the things where you might have patients all day going wow you're such a great doctor and you were so thorough and thanks so much and you did this for me and you did that for me and then it's like you have that one like fly in the ointment of like okay this one person was upset and that's all you can focus on is Mm -hmm. like the upsetting part and and not the other stuff but Mm -hmm. yeah definitely my favorite part i would just say is like just in general just doing my job as a doctor like not the office manager role as much but like the doctor role and um seeing you know more complex interesting cases
1: Cool. Um, so then I could probably guess like what, I mean, maybe I can't, but what is the most challenging part in your day to day?
0: Dealing with problem patients and and staff members. (laughs) Um, so I, I, you know, I, when I first started last year, um, as an office manager, um, I, you know, didn't have a staff that I particularly liked at the time. It, there were definitely members of it that I liked, but there were also, you know, members that were not, you know, working out really well. Um, and I think that now I'm really at a place where I'm really happy with my staff and, mm-hmm. and it's been a year of me really working to like, you know, okay, like let's try this person. Okay, that person didn't work out either. Let's try another person. Um, we I've had a lot of bad success with hiring people this past year. Um, like, you know, some of it's probably related to COVID and stuff, but like I would hire someone and then they'd start working and then maybe a week later, like something in their personal life would come up where they had to leave the job or they maybe would work a couple months and then they had to leave mm-hmm. because of their job. So there was just kind of a high turnover rate, but now I feel like I've got people that I can trust that I know do a really good job. Um, so that's been a lot better recently.
1: Dope. Um, and then I, of course I have to ask, because you are co-owner with your, with your dad, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that you learn a lot from him. So I'm, I'm curious about like what that relationship is like. We talked about this a little bit earlier at, at Hanny's. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the exact details necessarily, but yeah, can you kind of go through of like what that's been like from you? Like, is it has it been more positive because you have a role model to look up to, or is it do you see yourself more as like an independent entity um, from him?
0: Um, I, yeah, I think I think we work really well together. Actually, um, I think that you know, I I all the time will like run things by him. You know, sometimes it's almost like more of just getting a chance to talk it out and like me verbally saying it out loud helps me to like figure out what to do in certain cases. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but just someone to bounce ideas off of. And so I definitely learned a lot of stuff from him. Um, and I think that, but it goes both ways too, because there are things that maybe I learned in school, like a newer way of doing things that he'll go, Oh, actually, like, I'm going to start doing that differently. Or like, I'll, you know, prescribe, start prescribing this other thing. Like there was, you know, different drugs that I would prescribe because I learned about it in school that he's kind of like, Oh, I never thought to prescribe that before. Like, let me try that. Mm -hmm. Um, and it works out well for him. So we definitely kind of like, I think work really well from that standpoint, Um, as like doctors and you know really work kind of like almost like colleagues and Mm -hmm. I think we're very respectful of each other's different opinions too because sometimes he might treat something one way and I don't personally treat it that way but I go I understand that your way works like that's perfectly fine I just prefer to do it this way Mm -hmm. and vice versa he'll go yeah I mean that's that's fine if you prefer to prescribe that drug or do it this way or handle this patient that way but this is how I do it Um, but then also we can kind of come to each other for advice or just to run things past each other Uh, I think from um, mm-hmm like a business owner kind of standpoint, uh, we've done a pretty good job. I think divvying up responsibilities. Um, I'm, you know, the office manager now, so I'm handling the staff most of the time. He still does more of the financial stuff as far as like doing payroll and Mm -hmm. taxes and all those kind of things. Uh, and that's things that he'll eventually teach me how to do, but we're kind of, you know, we're just one year out right now. So we're just starting with one thing at a time. Uh, but I think he was very eager to hand over a lot of those responsibilities to me. And I think he's very happy that he doesn't have to handle those because the staff stuff is sometimes like the worst things to have to handle. And, uh, my dad's not a very confrontational kind of person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, not that I like want to be confrontational, but I, if I need to be, I can be. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I think that there were times that, you know, staff members, you know, like he would just be like, oh, I don't want to deal with this or something. But for me, if I'm like, if I see a staff member not doing a good job, I'll like call them out on it and actually like talk to them about it and bring it up and write them up if I need to. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, I think I just don't put up with that stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, that's been kind of good. And I know that, um, I think he's very happy to have me at the practice too, because He used to work, you know, Monday through Saturday with just Wednesdays off and he'd work like nine to seven on Thursdays. And so I took over his late night Thursdays and uh, I took over Saturdays too. Uh, So he kind of went from going like, oh my gosh, how much longer can I put up with this to, wow, I could do this for the rest of my life. This is like really (laughs) easy because like I'm taking over some of the admin duties for him and he's just working less hours. So um, I think he's like, like, wow, I feel like I can breathe again. Mm
2: -hmm
1: in terms of like setting boundaries like because you are guys are related like you are his daughter how do you sort of keep that boundary like professional i guess and like do you do you think that his just his role as a father sort of impacts the way that you you view either the decisions that you're making or the decisions that he he's making
0: um so like for you know, like boundaries and stuff. I think like for the most part, I think when we're at work, we just kind of know we're in a different role in that standpoint. Um, where, you know, I think he has done a really good job over all of, you know, going like, she's a doctor now, like she's her own entity. And like he, mm-hmm. um, there have been times before where I've like been like, you did this for this patient, but like, I don't feel comfortable doing that or something. Um, you know, like you, you, you know, you signed this form for them, but like, I don't feel comfortable doing that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of will say like, well, that you know, you're you're a doctor and that's your decision and like you have to do what you're comfortable with as a doctor. And like he doesn't try to push me into like his beliefs. Um, so I think that he's done just like a naturally a good role of that. I think that there are some times that the father daughter roles will come out a little bit. Like there, there have been times before where, you know, my dad maybe gets like irritated with me or something and will kind of snap at me. And like, I know that there's like staff members in earshot too. And -hmm. I have to like, look at him and be like, dad, shut up. Like, (laughs) like I I am your coworker right now. I am not your daughter. Like you can't do that in front of people. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're, uh, um, you know, like undercutting my managerial role right Mm -hmm. now when you do stuff like that. But I think overall it's, um, done pretty well. Um, um, and I think I just you know if there's ever a time that there it goes past boundaries or something I just call them out on it so mm-hmm. and that works pretty well. That's good. Yeah, yeah
1: cool. I, I was always curious about that because I feel like that's just that's a generally a really hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, without those boundaries, that you there probably would be more influence on on maybe your decisions like when you're when you're doing something from, from your day to day, either in fear of like oh, okay what was my dad gonna think um versus what is this other doctor that I respect gonna think
0: yeah
1: cool um and then I'm also kind of curious like you don't ever really talk about your mother that much what mm. is what is her oh, role oh
0: gosh, she's gonna listen to this and in, then, and then she's, <laughs> she's gonna be like see Jenna <laughs> um I think that she's thoughtful um that um she will do kind of, like, unexpected things for people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there are a lot of things that, um, like, I'll have a lot of people be like, oh, your mom's so nice, your mom's so sweet and stuff. Like, like little things she'll do for someone, like, bringing someone coffee, or, like, she'll come into the office and, like, bring me something. And she, like, thinks about people a lot, I think, like that. Mm-hmm. So um, she she's good at being, like, considerate in that sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that rubs off on you?
0: Um... <laughs> You're like, not at all. <laughs> no, no I, I think so. Um, Yeah, I like, I like to think I took the qualities, uh, the best qualities of both my parents.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. What generally is the information you would give to patients about uh, regular eye care or something that um, people can do on a regular basis to take care of their eyes?
0: <laughs> I, could, I could just, yeah.
1: My my guess would be just to go in for regular checkups.
0: Yeah, so I mean I've got my whole speech. Um right,
1: let's do,
0: it. <laughs> do you really want me to do it? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay. All right. So um, I always get really into talking about I got like my like I like my mouth can go on autopilot basically. Mm-hmm. Um but I always emphasize glaucoma and the reason that I emphasize glaucoma to patients is because there are many different diseases that affect the eyes glaucoma is a silent disease. So the thing is that people are not going to realize something's happening to their eyes until the really late stages. And then there's nothing I can do about it after that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I bring it up a lot because I need them to understand that you, by you coming in for your routine exams, this is preventative medicine. Um, and I can't fix things that are already too far gone. Like if something's severe stage, I can't bring it back. Like I can't fix it magically. Um, so um, so yeah, I, that's, that's why like of all the different things that I can like emphasize to them, I emphasize glaucoma a lot because they're not going to realize they're losing vision from glaucoma until really late stages. So my whole speech, I'll do like the, like, well, I won't, I'll say it fast. Okay. okay. All right. So glaucoma,
1: you don't have to say it fast either. You don't have to, see it you, don't answer. You, see, you speak pretty quickly already. Okay.
0: Okay. So yeah, my mom, my, I did this just at, uh, the other day at lunch with my mom and she was like do you talk that fast to your patients? I was like, no, I'm speeding this up right now. Cause mm-hmm. I like, I naturally talk really fast. Yeah. Um, You've also
1: probably said it a lot too in the past.
0: Yeah. So yeah. So I, that's why, again, I go, so, goes on autopilot sometimes. So I go glaucoma is the second leading cause of blindness in the United States. Unfortunately it's, all, uh, wait, wait, no, now I messed it up.
2: Now. <laughs> it's because there's
0: the microphone.
2: I'm not kidding.
0: <laughs> I, I, I go, okay. Um, Oh, here. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll be showing a picture of their the back of their eye, okay? Mm. So I'm gonna pretend there's not a microphone here. Um, so I, I'll point to a picture of their optic nerve, and I go, okay, that's the optic nerve. That's the part of the eye that connects your eye to your brain that allows you to see. It's also the part of the eye that would develop glaucoma. Glaucoma is the second leading cause of blindness in the United States, and unfortunately, it's also uh, Considered a silent disease meaning patients don't realize they're losing vision from glaucoma until the later stages Mm -hmm. What typically happens is the eye pressure increases it damages that optic nerve and then it causes peripheral vision loss initially But then gradually creeps in towards central vision over the course of many years Mm -hmm. and unfortunately because it's so gradual and because it starts off to the side That's why people don't notice they're losing vision from glaucoma until the later stages and then, um, God, now I'm, I'm messing that that up. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's like, that's my, my lead into glaucoma. And then I talk about that a lot in detail. Um, but I, generally like, like, you know, taking care of your eyes, um, wearing sunglasses whenever you go outside, uh, we know UV light is, um, really big in causing cataracts, macular degeneration. Uh, so sunglasses are really big. Um and like a good quality sunglass pair too. Mm -hmm. Um and then
1: What what would be what would be like the criteria for a good quality sunglass? (sighs)
0: Um like I prefer polarized sunglasses first of all, which are gonna be more expensive but the thing is like the thing is is like sometimes t- just a tint alone will seem like it's going to block out more light because it just looks darker. Mm-hmm. Polarized lenses typically don't look as dark as just solely just really dark tinted lenses, but it actually blocks out more light and people don't realize that because what we mean by polarized is that it's blocking out any of the light rays that are coming in at a certain orientation. So they're polarized so that anything that's coming in horizontally orientated is going to be blocked out. So that's why it works really good for like if you're on a lake and you're getting glare from the sun hitting the water, mm-hmm. it's going to block out a lot of that. So that works really well. Um, so that would be my kind of my criteria for that is that polarized usually works better. Cool. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. So, um, that's a big one. I'm coming in for routine exams. I mean, going to your primary care doctor too, because, um, if you are diabetic and you're hypertensive or you have high cholesterol, like all these other different conditions can affect your eyes pretty much. And Mm -hmm. people don't necessarily realize that. Um, and I, and I know people don't realize that because people will come in all the time and go, yeah, like, you know, I go, any other medical problems? And, And they go, well, I mean, I have this going on, but like that has nothing to do with my eyes and I'm like, "No, actually it does." Mm-hmm. Or I go, "What medications are you taking?" "Well, I'm taking, you know, I'm taking uh this medication, but that has nothing to do with my eyes." And I'm like, "No, that actually is really important that can affect your eyes." Mm-hmm. Um so all the time people will make comments like that cuz they don't realize everything's interconnected. So yeah. um you know, routine care um dry eye issues are really big making sure you're taking breaks from being on the computer uh we are not designed to be staring at a computer all day and that happens way too much so
1: um you know i'm personally a victim (laughs) yeah
0: and it, it doesn't have to be a long break like you it's not like i'm saying you know like you need to take a half hour break every couple minutes or something like it's like every like there's the 20 20 20 rule so every 20 minutes look at something at least 20 feet away. So just something off in the distance for 20 seconds. So just a quick 20 second break every 20 minutes, mm. which is really not that long. Just stare off at something else. Um, you know, when you're taking your breaks, don't be staring down at your phone, like actually take a break and just like look across the room or look outside for a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, that allows your eyes to relax. And then also there's um, what I think is, you know, an upcoming you know epidemic of dry eye issues. And a lot of that's, cut- uh, caused by technology too because we don't blink as often when we're on technology mm-hmm. we have lots of studies showing that we don't blink as often when we're on a computer screen for instance and that contributes to dryness because we have glands inside of our eyelid called the meibomian glands and those get expressed from our eyelid blinks mm-hmm. and the problem is if we're not blinking as often those start to get clogged up and mm-hmm. if there's nowhere for those secretions to go then the glands just stop producing and then they atrophy and they die off and once they're dead they're There's no coming back from that. And then Mm -hmm. that's where people are getting dryness issues because those glands are not working properly. So, um, that's definitely a really big thing that's hard to get people to do because we don't realize how long we're on technology and we don't realize how often we need to be taking breaks. Mm doing like warm compresses and like cleansing your eyelids are really important. Um, and that's something that I always struggle with getting people to do because they don't want to do sit down and do warm compresses for 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Um, or like cleansing eyelids. People don't realize the importance of it. like, we, we talk about how your eyelids get a like, natural biofilm on them, just like how your teeth do. Mm-hmm. And we know you're supposed to brush your teeth twice a day. Like Everyone knows that. If you go interview someone off the street, they probably know. Like Even if they don't do it, <laughs> they know they're supposed to be brushing their teeth twice a day and flossing once a day. But we don't necessarily know that we need to be cleansing our eyelids and our eyelashes because we get a lot of buildup of like almost like dandruff around our eyelashes, like how you could get it on your hair, uh, around your scalp. Um, and bacteria likes to build up in there, a lot of staph bacteria, and we can actually have reactions from that, and there's an inflammatory response. Um, So people don't, like, like, there's education on, like, hygiene that I have to tell patients, like, you need to you know, be cleansing close to your eyelashes. Like you need to scrub in there a little. Okay,
1: yeah, I was gonna ask what exactly does that entail for, for cleansing? Yeah. A lot, But like, like people can interpret that in different ways.
0: Yeah, I use like this, I use this like tea tree foaming eyelid cleanser that's meant specifically for the eyelashes. I do that usually like twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like when you're washing your face or when you're in the shower, like I, you know, I do my face wash on the rest of my face, but then I take this cleanser and I get really close to the base of my lashes and like actually work it into the base okay. of the lashes because mm-hmm. I think people like they clean their face and they maybe just do a quick like you know splash around their eyes mm-hmm. um but you want to get in and like you know you still need to be gentle to your eyes but like be firm with it and like get into those lashes a little bit and kind of give it a good scrub because mm-hmm. um you know when you're looking at that under a magnifier it's uh, a little nasty yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool uh that was a lot
0: yeah and that was great yeah.
1: thank you for sharing that yeah. I mean that was that was exactly what I <laughs> you would say so good that's awesome um i mean yeah okay so now that's everything that i had okay uh for you did you have any questions for me or anything that you thought of while we were talking
0: um <laughs> no i feel like i just started talking and then i like was like i don't even know what i'm talking about right now no. it's good it's because there's a microphone there like like yeah. you were saying like it's like this weird phenomenon that i um like if i feel like if i'm just like talking to you normally like i could yeah. talk about this so, and then sometimes you'd ask
2: me a question i'm like i don't really remember what he
1: asked hey everyone thank you so much for listening to today's episode of between the soup i really hope that you enjoyed it if you did you can reach out to between the on instagram and let me know what your thoughts were on the discussion if you didn't like it you should definitely let me know what your thoughts were so that way i can improve the show uh thanks again so much uh it means a lot that you're tuning in